Hello, and welcome to episode three of the book uh, four, book number four, titled The Captive of Our Law. Let's begin. Will you fight alongside me, my brother? asked the blind warrior of Bertel. The captain of the guard nodded. Ansel's second-in-command assumed he would. Gretel tossed him a blade, which the deaf soldier retrieved out of thin air. What you, will you do to me? demanded the king. There is no Ansel. If there is, he will never come back from his hiding place. I know what you want. You want to rule. I saw that when I recruited you. You despised father. That hasn't changed. What will cause the dwarves to leave my brothers and choose you to be their king? The idea that Ansel has won. Within half an hour's time, the only survivors were King Trindale, Bertel, and Gretel. The king was weeping. I should have listened to father. On that fateful night, the night he ran, I could have killed my brothers and rode alongside him. That cowardice has cost me my life. The captain of the guard, Bertel, descended upon his charge. With a shout, he cut King Trindale down. His white silk shirt was saturated with blood. Breathless, Gretel looked at Bertel, as if he could see right through him. Tell me, if you will, why I should let you live. I've killed these others, all to keep my secret safe. You know the truth. I am Ansel's second in command. My presence precipitates his return. War has come to the dwarves, a war they must lose. The dwarf trooper admitted, as for me, all I can say with any certainty is that I am more blind than you are, for I see in you a king, my king. Ah, and blind Gretel sat down beside the captain of the guard on the dais. He grabbed Bertel's hand and placed the white leather-bound book in it. I require the elves to end the reign of the two brothers. That book will decide the fate of the Abbasine more than any army. Were I a wise man, I would have discarded that book before coming here. And the two sat quietly, huddled together for a long while. Who will sit on the throne of Sturm, he questioned. Who must rule, if not you? Ansel will rule until all the dwarves are crushed and the war of the race is ended. A new age for the dwarves is necessary. Ansel has his own agenda, breaking the spirits of the dwarves who failed him. If he does not demonstrate love and forgiveness for the humbled dwarves, then I will end his reign. I know what I must do, replied Bertel. Here, come to your feet. And Bertel stated, I will summon those dwarves that will listen to you. I will call upon the clever lights. They have nothing. They disowned all those things that distinguished most dwarves. Yes, smiled Gretel. I must speak with my brother, the Lord Brokill. And with that said, Bertel escorted Gretel to the door, cradling his bloody axe and the white leather-bound book in his hands. What about the brothers? asked Bertel. Gretel replied, they must not learn of the death of Trindale. The dwarf turned back and eyed the acolytes as they descended upon the dead dwarfs 
removing the corpses, sopping up the blood. Don't mind this mess, insisted one of the dwarven attendants. They're very good at keeping secrets. Just ask your companion. Gretel gripped his fellow's dwarf's forearm and wrung it. They are the wisest dwarves, the oldest, the most discreet. They were by my side when I killed my father the night I became King Ansel's second in command. They will be by your own side should you use that book to keep the throne. And the lead acolyte winked and flipped a wave. Then Gretel and Bertle turned and exited the defiled throne room. The wizard Belfasor, together with King Chase, ruler over the Wutu race of men, and the inconspicuous elf Pindar stood outside the shattered gates of Castle Wren. King Prenhook, having killed the god and assumed rule over the half-breeds and the humans, the army formerly governed by King Socha, asserted that the elves remained in complete control of the Abyssinian as long as they maintained their indomitable grip of their knowledge and their technology, as well as the only access for the half-breeds and the humans to the first forest. The first act of the half-breed king, Prenthook, was to breach the walls, the last stone fortress maintained in the Abyssinian by the elves. Once inside it, his troops proceeded to enter at each and every room and closet and chamber and hovel and toss everything deemed of value over the walls of the fortress to the ground below. This is the only way to defeat the elves, declared one half-breed, as he discarded several books over the wall and onto the muddied battlefield below. We must break any spell the elves have over us. If we discredit anything the elves hold on to, we shame them. We must make full we must take full advantage of that. If the half breeds are to be freed, we sour their knowledge, we crush their faith, we break their solidarity. Pale ran up to the three individuals and threw her arms around Pinder and kissed him vigorously. Pindar, Pindar, my life, my hope. The woman, known only as Pale, asserted, Pascal is not here. She emerged from the shadows. I knew you would come here. You are such a fool, my son. Rigor himself has been here. He intends to kill you and Pasco. Why have you come here? I suppose you must, if you are to ever be with your bride. I knew you would not enter the first forest in order to search for your bride. She is safe. The elves do not know of her. Neither do they that would benefit from knowing who she is or where she is. I escorted her out these gates. Where she has gone, only she knows. What do we do? asked the wizard Balthazar. Our only hope is bringing these two together. Who will help us if there are so many? throughout the Abyssine that fear the future should these two elves be brought together. The four stood silent in contemplation as curious treasures and trinkets continued to rain down all around them. I have some idea where Pasco might be hiding, insisted King Chase after some time. Oh, very well, replied the wizard. 
do tell, for I am at a loss on where to begin a search for her. King Chase replied, The only place where secrets are safest, where dangerous people can be held without threat, is the North Wood. And the safest place, the one place, where the most secrets of secrets, the most secret of secrets can be held, is the village of Bloody Tunic. Then to this village, Bloody Tunic, is where we go. And with that said, the three departed Pasco's friend Pale and made due west the Lukek Mountains and the candles still pass for the modest village of Bloody Tunic. King Prenthoek's horse stomped and snorted as the half-breed steered his steed and surveyed the dead village of Arlo from his vantage point on a hill providing an excellent view amidst the trees some three hundred yards north of the elven village. So, prompted the king as he considered how best to enter the village, how should we proceed? I don't know, insisted the half-breed captain named Pierce Menden. I have not once had the opportunity, if opportunity is what one can call it, to defeat one elf let alone an entire village. Another captain, named Prendel Burns, concurred, concurred. This may be simply another tactic. Now that there has been one defeat for them, they may have developed a new tactic to deceive us into thinking we have skills, that we have means. I have a plan, the king insisted. We will make use of our elf line and the king slid out of his saddle and gathered his four captains. Behold, announced a half-breed elf as the leadership conferred in earnest, there has arrived a dwarven division, and King Prenhook and his troops turned to find the dust rising over a marching company of dwarves, singing robustly, rattling axe against shield. What is this frightful sight, I wonder? asked the half-breed king, as he stepped past his captains and rested his hand on the hilt of his blade. The army of dwarven troops thumped along until arriving within a hundred yards of the large contingent of half-breeds and of humans. What is this you dare? demanded the half-elf king, scowling as he surveyed the dwarven contingent. You must know you do not stand a chance at defeating us. This village and the wealth it contains belongs to me and to my troops. Ha! chortled Lord Dampil of the dwarves. I am the victor of Norn's Landing, the victor of the Battle of Lander. I am Lord Dampil, King Sturdle's second in command. Have you not once fought the dwarves? I know that you have, for I was among those same dwarves that did defeat the contingent of half-breeds at Norris Landing. Tell me, if you will, so-called king of the half-breeds, so-called king of the Abyssin, who you must fear. There may be no elves here to defend this village, but then a threat to your army does exist, here, in us. We will take what we want from this village. We were told a threat to all dwarves rests here. We are here to exhume it, to take it back to my king. After that, you may have the crumbs, or must we spill more blood this day? King Prenhook frowned. He refused to hearken the, the threat 
issued by the formidable Dwarven army. He would not give up our low so easily. He may not value anything the elves treasured, but he could not allow the dwarves to gain whatever knowledge was contained within either. The king conferred hastily with his captains. What military options do we possess? Suddenly there came a shout. The king of the half-breeds and his leaders turned to find as many as a dozen dwarves stricken by raining arrows and slain. They crumpled and fell to the ground. What might this be? asked King Prenthook. He spied another army, this one of horrific frights, mostly trolls and giants and goblins. Their ugliness and vulgarity washed over the battlefield. The terrors closed in from both the east and the west, advancing swiftly, gnashing their teeth, driving the dwarves amidst the half-breeds and the humans. What do we do? asked one lord. Pandil, spinning around, terrified. We fight, replied Prenthook. We fight these frights, and we fight together. I may not stand for the dwarves coming away with the treasures these elves did have, but even less will I stand for monsters, and these in league with terrible men, who call the Northwood home. These will certainly not take what Arlo promises. The captain Pierce Menden assured Prenthook, I do see a weak spot, I do, in the very heart of this body of monstrosities. Look there, we mass, we mass right here, and we drive in a wedge. Maybe we can ex excise those in charge, maybe end this threat entirely. And confiding in one another, the dwarves thrust up their shields and uniformly advanced acting as a steady buzzsaw, cutting away the limbs of those tempted to, or too foolish to withdraw and reserve action. The dwarves, with two advancing phalanxes, managed to force back the disturbing nightmares. Then the half-breeds and humans identified their opportunity to capitalize on the weakness. With a shout, they rushed out, cutting down the beasts, clawing, making for the clear leadership those handful of humans at the rear of the formation, despite being protected by the most skilled and intelligent and battle-tested of monsters, their defenders were monsters nonetheless. They proved no match for the armies of the allied dwarves and humans and half-breeds. Charon and Candid fell back. The wall of frights that separated the pair from the encroaching teeth of skilled warriors was quickly slipping away, like sand washed away by the relentless tide. We are almost victorious, persuaded King Prenthook, his captains and dwarven leadership. We will throttle these arrogant Northwood folk. I will indulge in cutting the two of them up. A giant, determined and fearless, entered from the periphery. Before the dwarves and half-breeds and humans could think twice, he screwed up Charon with a hand with a huge mitt and secured him on his shoulders. With little prompting, a tide of gnashing and gnawing goblins washed past the burdened giant, and with larger numbers drove the allied soldiers back. Taking a breath, Charon clambered from his place on the giant's shoulders. Why do you fight us? the man asked, pointing out the humans. Why do you fight us? For we are, for we are on your side, humanity. All humans should stand beside humans. King Prenthook snorted, Why listen to them? 
they are monsters. They call the Northwood home worse frights than those bellowing creeps that serve alongside them. We have only your best interest at heart, insisted Charon, adjusting to his difficult perch. Don't listen to them. Let's cut them down. And the beasts serving those persons from the Northwood lunged and wrestled and pulled free limbs for snacking. Humans and half-breeds and outraged dwarves, now allies by opportunity, quickly recovered and landed blows with zest and gusto. The advance of Charon's army was met with skill and tenacity. The success of the dwarves inspired the humans and all the half-breeds, and the soldiers, with cheer in their hearts, cut down the horrors. King Prenthook eyed Charon of the Northwood as he continued to overlook the course of the battle from his place above the others. He fearlessly drove for the man from the Northwood to end the threat he posed when Charon acted fast. Look! Look at what I hold! Look! Charon produced the bloody knife given him by the Elf King, a chasm visibly developed among the allies on the battlefield. With a gasp, the humans took a step back. Not a few of them dropped their weapons. That's not troll blood, determined Captain Glenn, the lead captain of the human contingent, the one man the closest advisor to the half-breed King Prenthook. No, Charon assured them. This is human blood. Human blood. This knife has had a journey. This blade has a story. Are you willing to listen to that story? King Prenthook acknowledged the knife immediately, as the one he used to kill the mother of young Socha outside Copperwheel. You know the story of this knife, don't you, King Prenthook? Do not do deny it if I do not speak the truth. King Prenthook fell back. His human companions removed themselves from his proximity. Even the dwarves grunted and groaned, finding it difficult to side with an army that was clearly cleft in two. They displayed their unwillingness to fight alongside the disgraced king, despite their well-known contempt for humans. Candid reached and smiled and whispered, You have won victory from out of your pocket. Charon thrust the blade skyward and proclaimed, This blade here has reached my hand, but not before it was used to kill a human and a mother outside Copper Wheel. The humans all stood aghast, silent. There came pushing and shoving amidst the half-breed brethren. Apparently there were sympathizers with the humans who could not tolerate the effrontery of their half-human king. Charon continued, Yes, and that's not all. Whose fingerprint left on this blade in blood is it? Why not ask your king? Why not ask the king of the half-breed elves? Why not ask King Prenthook? More dishonest themselves than full-blood elves. The humans know the truth. The king of the half-breeds appeared conflicted. What do I do? He was overheard asking himself. What do I do? Tell them the truth? No, it's best... It's best if I strike down the humans here and blame the casualties on these dwarves and these monsters. We will recruit more humans elsewhere. Captain Prendleburns determined 
We kill the humans. They are not to be trusted. They will kill the leadership in their sleep if we don't. And so deciding, King Prenthook chirped in squirrel the command to, anni to annihilate the humans. Immediately the majority of the half-breeds turned on those humans they had served alongside for years. Acting on surprise, the half-elves would succeed in eliminating the human allies before the beleaguered men could muster an effective defense. King Prenhook smiled. He had known the time was fast approaching when the alliance with the humans would be threatened. He took care to train his half-elves in secret while fostering an inclusive environment with the humans. They had effectively deceived them. Defeat of the human brethren would surely follow. That was when the horn sounded. Both humans and half-brains disengaged and turned to identify the source. King Prenhook scowled. The clever light dwarves had arrived. He had not anticipated this. Dwarves and humans despised one another. Lord Dample prohibited his own troops to enter the combat within the half-breed's ranks. The clever lights were different. These dwarves saw humans as relations, working to secure the heartfelt redemption promised by the humans they had freed from bondage. Yes, the curious dwarves were a wild card, but he never thought they would demonstrate themselves on the battlefield. They showed up at the most inopportune time, within moments of the slaughter of so many humans. Stand down, commanded King Prenhook, rushing, in, rushing to the front with his sweating steed. He could not hope to win this fight against the humans, should the priestly clad dwarves join the besieged humanity. Stand down, I command you. Brokill waved a hand and smiled. Hello, my brethren, my mankind. We have come to secure the hope of the dwarves contained inside our low. I wouldn't be surprised. That is why you have come as well, Lord Dample. Though you must be inclined to see that treasure contained within as its polar opposite. The Lord of the Clever Lights engaged the sore and sorry humans. Why have you taken up arms against your brethren, the half-breeds, who promise you so much? when the elves and the dwarves refuse you. One captain from the from among the men stepped forward. This king has decide, has deceived you us. He is responsible for the death of our families inside Copperwheel. Lord Brokehill of the Cleverlights stepped out past the priestly his priestly clad dwarves and confronted King Prenthook. It is a grievous crime. Are you responsible for the death of Copperwheel? King Prenhook sat silent on his horse. He might be able to eliminate all the humans. Those humans that served alongside him were deliberately coddled and befriended and undertrained to be used as fodder in most battles, to be eliminated when a situation like this developed. Go on, do tell us the truth. Copperwheel, who is it that has annihilated an entire village of innocent persons? A village of more than a hundred men, women, and children. Who is it? For we must know. King Prenthook scowled. When had the dwarves ever before cherished the truth? Not ever. And this, who it was that had destroyed all of Copperwheel? It was not the truth. 
that the half elves slaughtered them. It was that it was not the truth that the half elves slaughtered them. King Prenhook considered his options as he surveyed the soldiers he commanded, both human and half breed. What should he do? King Prenhook confessed solemnly that is blood on that knife. It is true, he stated. Human blood from a woman who called Copperwheel home. Who killed Copperwheel? You must tell us. It was clear King Prenhook was defeated. He had to play his cards right if he was to be to retain his throne, if he was to survive. What was the half-elf king to do? What was he to say? There was the evidence he need address. There was no denying his own thumbprint in a human's blood of a corpse of someone who called Copperwheel home on that knife Charon possessed. I did kill the woman, the half-breed king confessed softly, evenly. And that concludes episode three of the book titled The Captive of Arlo. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And next week I will provide I will provide the next episode. Thanks for listening and talk to you later. Bye.